Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Strings from Above, and my author who joins me from Kansas in the United States of America is Kirby Smith. Welcome, Kirby, to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, it's a pleasure to visit with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You are in Kansas, but you also uh, have a history of growing up in another state. What state was that? Yeah, I grew up in Nebraska. Um, I was born and raised in a small town of about 600 people, and I lived there uh, through high school and then went to college in Nebraska as well and then ended up ultimately meeting my husband at our college, and then we ended up moving to Kansas and now are raising our family in Kansas. Well, somebody has to live in Kansas. Kansas is a nice state. I've, my, I've got a I've got a son-in-law from Kansas and his family, so they're they're nice folks. Uh, the um, the state of Nebraska, though, is uh, is primarily a a farming community. Did you grow up in a farming situation? Yes, I did. My father has farmed since he was 14 years old, growing up on the farm, helping his uh, dad and his uncle, and then ultimately. Um, took over the farm later on in his life. So my sister and I, uh, a lot of experience just helping him and, you know, just town life. Sure. You, you, uh, have you always, uh, had a desire to be an author? Is this your first book? This is my first book and it actually just kind of happened. We, um, my mom ultimately is the reason for writing the book, but when I was just 10 years old, she was diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer. She was 36 at the time and uh, she had the prognosis was not very very good or whatnot but anyway through a lot of her treatment and just the the struggles we had with that there was a lot of spiritual events that had happened throughout that time and then after she went through her treatment and then just throughout the course of our lives we've always had just unexplained things happen to our family and you know we didn't think much of them at first but once we were able to kind of sit down and and see and you know, throughout my mom's terminal illness, too, just lots of things had happened, and we were able to kind of piece things together and just started realizing that these weren't coincidences, and we truly believe that they are signs from heaven. So that kind of is what sparked my interest to maybe uh, start writing a little bit. I didn't really think that it would turn into a book. It was more of a blog, and then when I started seeing what a following I had, it just really inspired me to maybe get something put in in a format that our kids could be able to have some day to read to understand who their Nana was and everything about our family. It's 261 pages, so you had a lot of thinking to do and a lot of writing that you did uh, accomplish. One of the, uh, I think, interesting things was the uh, the story of your dad driving, I think, back to the hospital after the diagnosis and the treatment was beginning, and uh, something interrupted his, his vision as he was traveling. Uh, share that. Was that the beginning of the spiritual journey? journey that you outline in your book, or how would you describe that incident? Yes, that was probably the earliest memory that I have. Again, I was 10, so I didn't fully comprehend everything that was going on, Um, and a lot of the medical piece was not fully disclosed to my sister and I, for obvious reasons. As young as we were, my parents did a great job of reassuring us that everything would be fine, but of course, you know, my dad had the weight of the world on his shoulders at that time. Uh, My mom was only given a 2% survival rate, uh, again, being 36. Um, You know, it 
we never wanted to give up on a miracle, but science was basically saying, you know, 2% chance. So my dad, of course, was thinking, how in the world am I going to raise two daughters, 10 and 12, without my wife? I've got a farm. I, I just don't know how I'm going to do all this. So as he's driving from our hometown in Indianola, Nebraska, to Omaha, where my mom was hospitalized, and he just experienced the normal human emotions of anger. And he just, you know, he was upset. He was sad. And, you know, he just was, you know, seeking God. He says, why, you know, why are we, why are we having to experience this? You know, please, you know, show me a sign that you're here and that we're going to get through this. Well, then about that time, his thought process was interrupted by these bright headlights behind him, just tailgating him. Well, then of course he got a little bit of road rage thinking, gosh, darn it. You know, why, why is this happening? And, well, anyway, the vehicle then proceeded to pass him, and as he looked up, it was a semi-truck, and on the side of that, it said covenant. And, of course, we all know covenant means promise. Right. And so he took that as his sign of God is here, and he is going to see us through this. And that just really gave him that internal peace and a sense of hope that, you know, everything is going to be okay. Well, many families that go through the cancer diagnosis and the treatment uh, will look for straws or look for help, look for answers, and will be driven towards maybe a spiritual change in their life. Is yours in that category? Was there something a little more unique about your journey? Yeah, it all goes into that. Um, If I could pick up on the second part, uh, the subtitle of my book is called Have Faith in God, which is um, from Mark 11.22. And where that originated from, it was during that same trip, but next day or the following day, um, you know, my dad was by my mom's side at the hospital, and he had never read the Bible before, and there was one there in the hospital room. So hmm. he just picked it up and thought, okay, where do I even begin, you know, in this giant book, if you will. And so his birthday is November 22nd, so he just flipped to, it happened to be the Book of Mark, and he just flipped to 11:22 since that was his birthday, and it said, have faith in God. And so that was another strong sign of, okay, covenant the day before, and then now here, you know, God speaking to him through the Bible, saying, have faith in God. Again, that was just another piece of it. So our, I guess to answer your question, our whole lives have kind of been, our spiritual lives were kind of built on that after that. It just gave us this piece of, like, we're not doing this by ourselves. There's something much bigger and something much greater, and, you know, God knows what our plan is. Sometimes it's hard as you're going through the trials and tribulations in life, but, you know, there are times we you can piece things together and say, okay, now I see why that happened. But, you know, I feel like when we are standing face-to-face with him, at the end of our lives, we will truly see how and why everything happened the way it did. That's phenomenal. The other incidences that happened in your life, of course, your mom did pass. And how did that impact the family? Besides the, the, the typical loss and, and the grieving process, what else did it do to impact your future choices? Sure. Uh, my mom was very much an advocate for health and just being proactive. And she just, you know, her worst fear um, was my sister and I having to go through the exact same thing that she had experienced. And when she was 36 with this diagnosis, that was back in 1993. And of course, the research has come on so much more since then. But when um, she was diagnosed then, she just said, could there be a family link to this? And the doctors at that time really weren't, you know, it, the research hadn't been advanced. So they just said, no, this is a fluke thing. You don't have any family history of it. It's, it's probably just a fluke. Yes. Well, then in her subsequent diagnosis, 17 years later, at that point then, of course, the research had been advanced so much more. And her doctor said, I'm, you know, let's get you tested. There's a strong possibility there's a genetic link to this. So in April of 2012, prior to her terminal diagnosis, she got tested, and she did test positive for the uh, BRCA2 gene. 
And so, uh, you know, this broke her heart because then she just carried this guilt knowing that my sister and I each, you know, we had a 50% chance of also carrying this, which in her mind interpreted to a high likelihood of us developing breast cancer at some point in our lives. So um, we let the dust settle a little bit on that. And then uh, fast forward to September of 2012 was when she was diagnosed uh, uh, terminally as she had um, brain meths from the breast cancer. During all that, she just she told my sister and I, she said, you guys are going to go over to the genetic counselor now, and you're going to go get tested, and you guys are never going to have to experience this. So knowledge is power. Go get tested. So mm-hmm. while she was dealing with what her prognosis and subsequent treatment just to keep her comfortable, uh, my sister and I were over getting tested. And then a couple of weeks later, we did find out uh, my sister tested negative, but I did test positive for the breast cancer gene. Mm. Decision that was subsequent to that, what was that? Sure. So then I just knew, um, just seeing my mom suffer and just knowing what she went through, I knew that that's something that I absolutely never wanted to experience. I am a mom. Um, At the time, I only had two boys. I do now have three. But I just, I knew I did not want to ever have to go through that. So I went to a doctor and they did an analysis and they put me at about a 95.5% chance of developing breast cancer in my lifetime. And that's, you know, that my choices were either surveillance, I could go every six months, and in my mind, they'd eventually find something, and I would be diagnosed, or I could have the pro, uh, preventative uh, double mastectomy with reconstruction. So it was a no-brainer for me. That's what I chose. And in, the June, in June of 2013, I underwent the uh, seven-hour surgery and successfully completed the reconstruction process uh, December of 2014. Proactive in this situation certainly is a, a choice that uh, it might, must have been very difficult to, to make. You have uh, titled the book Strings from Above. What is that title significance? What does that mean for you? So probably the first, oh, I don't even, six or eight months after mom passed, you know, I had some dreams, but they were all negative dreams. It was just dreams from her passing and it was all very very real and then I would hear my sister and my dad talk about pleasant dreams that they had had and there was a piece of me that was like you know needing that closure and wanting to experience that as well well then little by little I was noticing strings just in random places just no you know it was just I can't really explain it but there were strings that were falling in my path during times that I felt, you know, I was really missing mom or trying to make these decisions with the surgeries and what to do mm-hmm. and how to move forward with that, I would always find these strings at, at times where I felt like I needed my mom the most. And so I decided to title the book Strings from Above because I just feel like mom is giving us signs that she is guiding us. Even though she's not here physically, I do feel like she's here spiritually and she's still holding our hands and guiding us through the process of life. Besides sharing your story for your family, what do you feel the reader that's listening to the broadcast right now will f- will find from your work and also take away from it? I think my goal then would be for people to, in a lot of situations, not just a cancer diagnosis or you know a health issue, but there are several issues throughout the book that I, my goal is to help readers find peace and comfort. And I feel like when you're going through a trial and you're going through some hard times, it is easier to connect with people and read stories and hear stories and I, it provides comfort and help. So this is a broad range of, um, you know, my mom's cancer diagnosis, how we dealt with that in terms of, you know, the last six, they gave her a year to survive. Um, she passed within six weeks of her terminal diagnosis. So wow. there's a, a segment on that, on how, how we coped with that and how we handled ourselves through that process. Um, my sister was also diagnosed with a, a Hodgkin's lymphoma 
three months after my mom passed away. And so we had to deal with that. So you've got the component of losing a loved one. You've got a, a subsequent cancer diagnosis. You've got my surgery I'm dealing with trying to work through all the medical pieces and trying to make a pretty significant decision. So I think several different readers in different life situations will be able to connect to our story. But the end result is something positive, that not only are you leaving in the the narrative that you have created, but also in your outlook. Would that be a correct diagnosis? That is. I learned a lot about myself through this process. I developed a closer relationship with God. Um, you know, before it was one of those things I would go to church and I would pray, but it was kind of con- on a basis where it was convenient for me. Well, then through this whole process, watching my mom pass and just all of that coming together, I felt a strong presence of him. And it just made me really, I guess, grow in my faith and understanding that, again, there's something much bigger than us and that, um, you know, God does have a plan for us. And while it's difficult at times, we just have to trust in him. And as the book says, have faith in God. 33, 33 chapters. The last three are interesting in title. 31 is lucky or unlucky, 13. 32 is black pearl, and then I think the one that probably is the uh, the motivation for inspiration for whoever or whomever reads the book, write your story. What is Black Pearl? What is that uh, referring to? Well, back to the signs that we have received, the number 13 has always been my mom's favorite number. That was something even before her diagnosis in 1993, she just held on to 13. She just thought it was a, a lucky number. And then throughout the course of the book, uh, readers will see that, you know, I started analyzing the number 13. It's like, well, is it lucky or is it unlucky? And there were a lot of different things. You know, mom was diagnosed on the 13th of December in 1993 with, um, with the initial diagnosis. And so in my mind, I'm like, how can number 13, how can she still hang on to this number and like this number, even though we've had multiple negative occurrences with the number 13? Um, another one would be when she had um, the surgery initially, there were 13 lymph nodes that were malignant, which, you know, of course is a bad thing, but out of the 17, uh, 13 of them were malignant. So mm. again, I walked through and just analyzed lucky or unlucky. But the point of that uh, chapter was um, my mom always had a way of looking at life in a positive manner. So yeah, while those things were bad, she still had a way of seeing the positive and just trying to navigate through that. So then to answer your question on the Black Pearl story, uh, my dad, has re- uh, he did get married uh, to a wonderful woman named Deanna. She is now our stepmom. Um, but when they were on their honeymoon in Hawaii, they had stopped into the store, and Deanna had wanted to get herself a, a necklace. So she picked a, a, a pearl, and then when they opened it, it was a black pearl. And they said, wow, that doesn't happen very often. I'm like, why don't you pick another one? So she dug through and picked out another, opened it, and there were two black pearls in there. And it was like they, the people in the store just couldn't believe it. Like, what in the world? And then um, they said, okay, do just one more. So then she opened one more, and, and it was yet another black pearl. So wow. immediately she's like, these necklaces were meant for the girls, my sister and I. So they uh, put, found a um, setting for my sister and I, and they got us the necklaces. And then when they went to check out, the price was $1,313. And they, they both looked at that receipt, and there were two 13s there. So it was just these little things along the way that always happen. And we just, again, felt strong that that was a sign that, you know, mom is saying, you know, I wanted you to move on less, and I'm thankful you did. And so, and, and then the write your story piece was just me basically saying, 
you know, I never, as we talked about earlier on, I never intended on being an author. That was just something never in a million years that I think that I would have a title. And so it was just me basically just saying, encouraging people, start writing your stories. There's something that's happened to you and you want to share it, write it, and you just never know where, where it'll go. Well, thank you for sharing your story this morning. The title again is Strings from Above, subtitled Have Faith in God, Mark eleven twenty two. My author, Kirby Smith. Kirby, my listeners need to get a copy of this, 261 pages of inspiration. Where do they find it? Uh, my book is available through the Author House website. It is also available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Well, best of luck with this. Again, uh, listeners, if you want to find this, you can also ask your local bookseller, and they can order it in by name, Strings from Above, or under the author's name, Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y, Smith, spelled just in the standard uh, standard spelling, S-M-I-T-H. Kirby, thank you for joining, with, joining me today and uh, sharing your story. It's been uh, wonderful to visit with you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Best to you and yours for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts. Back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Finding Freedom in God's Promises. And joining me from near Washington, D.C. in Virginia is author Beth Gable Hicks. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is uh, not the first book you have penned. You have uh, other books in this same uh, field. What was it that motivated you to, to share this particular topic in writing? Well, it was sort of a life change. Um, At 50, which was, well, three and a half years ago, my husband passed away suddenly from cancer. Hmm. Uh, We were told on a Tuesday that he had stage four, and by that Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve, he passed away in my arms. Wow. And it was very uh, life-changing, obviously, and very, uh, I had to find a new purpose, in a way. I was a, a churchgoer, my husband was Catholic, and um, he was ready to go. He didn't want to leave me, but he was comfortable with um, the next life, and so I had to decide what was next for me. I had been used to sort of taking care of him. Um, he had survived a heart attack the year before, and I suddenly had to come up with what, what's my purpose in life? What do I do now? And I was between jobs and um, was sort of called to write this book, um, the first one in particular, um, The Importance of Christian Friendships. 
before my husband passed away, he said, well, I know you're going to be just fine because you have wonderful family and wonderful Christian friends. Hmm. And I knew that was true, but I began to think about that after he passed away. And I thought, well, what makes that what makes Christian friendships different? What does the Bible say about friendships? Uh, how are we supposed to be towards one another? Right. And it's not that any of us are perfect, uh, Christian or otherwise. And uh, But at least the Bible gives us some instructions about uh, through the way Jesus lived his life and what he instructed others. Um, and well, forgiveness and understanding and compassion and um, not condoning others or judging others. Uh, many of those things that come out uh, in the Bible are good Christian traits that, as uh, Christian friends, we can look to. So Absolutely. I found strength and courage from writing the first book and looking into Christian friendships. And now the second book, I've taken that uh, strength uh, a little bit further and st- finding strength and um, confidence and comfort in uh, God's promises. I began to think, uh, after the first book, uh, well, gosh, there are a lot of promises in the Bible that God's made. What would life be like if we really believed those promises and if we really lived according to that? And it, it can be quite life-changing, and it was quite freeing. Well, you ha- a lot of people think of religion as being restrictive. Absolutely. Um, it became quite freeing to, to think in those terms. So that's what my second book is about. <laughs> now, you, you have uh, have taken a, a negative situation that uh, hit your life but relied on your faith. Some people take the opposite direction. Your book, Finding Freedom in God's Promises, I've uh, read through it uh, briefly, and uh, am finding it is a very positive book. You have a positive outlook on all phases of your faith. Uh, is Was that something that was difficult for you to come to grips with, or was it something that was just inbred uh, in your faith? Well, I think it came from my faith um, growing up in the church, but um, it, it's hard sometimes to find. I just feel really blessed that when my husband did pass away that I suddenly had from God a sense of peace, a sense of strength, and a sense of purpose. And it, it doesn't necessarily happen in the same way for everyone. But yes, you, but I you, like to share my story of how it happened for me. And it was a change in that before then, a lot of what I did career-wise and so forth, um, I was, had political positions here in Washington, D.C. Right. Um, as a political appointee and enjoyed that life and, and had a great life. Um, but after my husband passed away, I thought, well, whatever I do next should be even more in accordance with what God wants me to do from here on out. And so I feel very grateful and fortunate um, and thankful that uh, I was given that purpose. You have, Yes, you have twenty about 20 chapters, and some of the chapters, just for my listeners, so they'll get an idea of, of uh, the approach of the book. Uh, chapter 1 is letting God be the judge. And then the second one, chapter 2, is relying on God's presence. Uh, accepting God's mercy, trusting God to fulfill our needs, those types of uh, chapter headings, uh, getting our strength from Christ, relying on God to overcome temptation. Uh, You also have one that I'm sure was a a very personal chapter for you, leaning on Christ for sustenance and rest. And uh, one thing that also caught my attention was there's hope for the future you have in chapter 19, anticipating the second coming. Now, there are some people in the church world or in the religious world that don't believe that's going to happen ever, and yet uh, that's one of the uh, highlights of of many evangelicals who believe in Scripture and are anticipating the future. Uh, This is another part of your positive message, is it not? 
Yes, it is. And uh, for that last part, you know, Jesus promised that there are many rooms. Um, if there weren't, I wouldn't be saying so. Um, I'm paraphrasing that, obviously, but uh, that, in a nutshell, uh, gives you hope that uh, there is another um, world to come. And there's so many, based on that, there's so many freedoms um, that we can find now. And you mentioned one was freedom of condemnation. So many of us think that Christ came to condemn us. Um, But to quote one scripture, John 4, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So by repenting, by accepting his mercy, we're free from that condemnation. Um, And it's it's something that gets lost in our everyday world so often. Absolutely. I think it's because we let Christians maybe condemn one another and condemn us uh, when we should be following Christ and looking to him. Well, good advice. You you are involved in church ministry in your local congregation. And uh, in chapter one, one of the things that I noted about the way you have written this book, and uh, I, I'm guessing it was purposeful, uh, you have it broken into subheadings. Uh, the first chapter says, let God be the judge is the first section of that. And then you discuss the uh, nature of anger, taking a, a uh, scriptural approach from there. God is supreme is another part of that. God is sufficient, and God will judge us all. There there are subheadings in here, subchapters. Would you refer to your book maybe as a devotional, or would you call it a study guide? How would you describe it? Well, it, it can be a devotional for an individual, uh, just to sort of read through and absorb bit by bit. Um, I also find uh, this book and my first book to be good for Bible study groups, and a lot right. of study groups are finding that to be the case, especially in the second book. At the end, there is an appendix with some study questions. But I think each topic uh, does lead to conversation, and I feel comfortable with each chapter because I, I keep going back to the scriptures <laughs> to remain grounded right. in those scriptures. But it certainly is room for discussion and uh, biblical study, so I certainly encourage groups to to take either of the books and look at them. Yes, and although you are not an ordained minister in the typical sense of the word, this book comes across as though you are in ministry specifically because of the style of the book. Uh, And again, those uh, sub-chapters or subheadings in the chapters, uh, from my perspective, would make great talking points for a pastor, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like to think so. And, you know, I'm called more to either write or, or talk to smaller groups, and I'm always happy to do that, um, about these subjects. Um, and I go to a number of Christian conferences throughout the year um, doing just that. So it, it's really a, a wonderful time to hear from other people, and they bring up questions. Um, in the book on friendship, I had one f- person tell me, well, I've tried all these things um, with this other person, and they still won't <laughs> respond uh, in friendship. Right. And then you, I sort of responded that you have to take a step back and um, you know try again at a later date. But um, sometimes uh, you have to take a step back, and the friendship is, is the way to do it. But right. Um, Beth, in how- any case, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. I'm very happy to talk about these issues, and uh, they are fruitful discussion, I believe. Beth, how long did it take to complete Finding Freedom in God's Promises? This is, again, about 124 pages, so it's not a long read, but there's a lot of depth in what you have shared. Um, Probably about a year and a half. Um, I'm fortunate, uh, I think, in my church to have received um, good pastoral training and good preaching in a very practical way, and that's why I've stuck with my church, because it's... uh, 
been a good one for me. Mm-hmm. And so I feel between that and the Bible and study guides, and, and now with my uh, seminary studies, um, taking classes at Liberty University online, uh, that that's uh, giving some more strength and credence um, and value to what I'm um, writing and saying. What are your hopes with this book? What, what, what do you, if you were to describe the, the perfect audience for this, is this a book that will appeal primarily, I'm guessing, for those who are believers, but uh, is there also something there that might uh, entice others to read? Um, I certainly would hope that it would appeal to, um, to non-Christians as well as they, they search for the truth. I myself you know, have been targeting on you know, study groups and individuals who would normally um, be looking for a, a Christian book to strengthen their own faith. Um, but certainly I'd like to reach this out to others. And in the case of, of this book, I certainly want it to reach those that, that need to be reading this and that could benefit from it, could find strength and comfort. Well, tell tell tell, is, tell is my the... tell my listeners the the story about uh, the uh, taxi driver and the pastor who uh, make it to heaven. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The um, it, it turns out they both get to heaven, and uh, the pastor's uh, sort of concerned why he's not led in right out away by Saint Peter, um, and then the uh, uh, taxi driver's led in has a much better. Uh, location and then home up there and that's because they're told that uh, whenever the taxi driver drove that people were praying <laughs> and whenever the minister was speaking then people were falling asleep I, I, <laughs> the aisle, so. i've been i've been in a few of those services personally i mean it's, that's uh, right you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a great you you've included humor in here plus uh, i think wonderful insight uh, beth we live in a self-centered world where the uh, get and not give is a is a standard for most people in entertainment and also in life what do you do to address that and, and do you address that in your book well there is one chapter on freedom from debt um, and it really discusses how we can find freedom from debt by being a faithful steward. Um, those of you that have been to church at all it might often feel that the church is doing nothing but asking for money. But really being a faithful steward means not just our money but also our time and using both wisely. Um, I think we, we all know that we can't really always trust in our riches. Uh, we should give with an open heart that is focused on heaven. Uh, you usually reminded in church that you can't outgive God, and that's certainly true. Mm. But there are just so many different ways to give of your time and money. Um, there's the story in Matthew 25, 14 through 28, uh, the story of the talents, where you had a master of three servants, and he entrusted his property to them before embarking on a journey. When he returned, he found that the servants to whom he'd entrusted five talents and two talents had both doubled the amount. But the servant who had been given one talent had hidden that talent in the ground where it earned no interest. Uh, so that, that whole lesson, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, that story reminds us that only who have been good and faithful servants were rewarded. And no matter what our gifts are, um, whatever time or money that we do have, whatever gifts from God were given, that we're called to give those back. And by practicing that sort of heart of a faithful steward, we can find freedom from debt um, by avoiding spending money on certain things, but also spending our time wisely. Yes, there's some practical application there, and I have some minister friends who emphasize the importance of impacting our world in a positive way. Yeah, and it it really not only goes into debt, but also just reminds us of, of where our treasure is. 
and frees us from a lot of the concerns and worries, um, freedom from want. Um, we can trust God to fulfill our needs. Um, remember Paul writing in Phil- Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So taking the debt question even a little further, it just shows us um, that is where our heart should be. And the secret um, is to live in gratitude by remembering Christ and focusing on that and thanksgiving, uh, learning to desire what God desires. As they always say, our wants are many, but our needs are few. And again, it's just turning our focus back to, to God. Great advice. It's an easy read in many respects, but it also is well thought out and well well researched. And again, for those who might have a Bible study group or a Sunday school class or even pastoral work, the book really might give you enough messages to preach for uh, six months to a year. I mean, there's just some great content in here, and yet it's not difficult to read. What do you think is the best way to describe this book? Have I described it properly, or is there something more that you'd like to share? think you have. Uh, certainly my objective is uh, for people who read it to find strength and comfort. And if they're in a transition in their life or just seeking some answers or, or feeling constrained by their own church um, that maybe is not as fulfilling as they would like it to be, um, by reading this book, I think it can help them understand that not all Christians are perfect, um, but that Christianity itself can really be freeing and uh, give you a lot of strength and comfort. This is a trans-denominational book. It doesn't really uh, have a specific doctrinal stance, I think, that would be out of the norm. It's it's very middle of the road. Wonderfully done. Again, the title is Finding Freedom in God's Promises. Uh, This is a book that would be an easy read and a great addition to anyone's library. My author, Beth Gable-Hicks. Beth, where do my listeners get copies of this book? Well, they can go to com, but probably the most uh, comfortable way would be to go to Amazon and uh, either search for it by title, Finding Freedom in God's Promises, or just searching by my name, Beth Gable Hicks, and they'll find it. Wonderful. And Gable spelled G-A-B-L-E, just like uh, Clark. And uh, Hicks is H-I-C-K-S. <laughs> Beth, this has been a wonderful experience visiting with you about your book. Again, the title is Finding Freedom in God's Promises, a great devotional book, great study book, or a great resource for anyone that uh, wants to learn about faith and the promises of God. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Thank you, and God bless. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's words you never heard. Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's words you never heard. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. The title of the book, The Handwriting on the Wall, and the author is Denise Ritchie, and Denise joins us now on Christian Living That Counts. Hello, Denise. Good morning. How are you? Great to have you with us. I'm going to read just a statement you've written about your book to just kind of set the stage for our discussion. You say this, This book is about a king, Belshazzar, who saw what his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, went through because of his rebellion of not giving Jehovah God the glory of what he had and would not worship God. Of course, God got his attention in a very unusual way. So that kind of sets the stage. We go all the way back into Babylon, 600 B.C., and all of this applies to today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. That's the uh, sobering part of this, isn't it? That's right. Tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about, Denise. Well, I was raised at the age of six. My father uh, surrendered to preach, so I was basically raised in a pastor's home. Um, We went to church every Sunday and and enjoyed going. Um, I became a Christian to turn to the Lord at the age of 18. Um, I married a preacher, and we had three children. And um, several years ago, I was reading through the Bible. I had done that several years, and was reading about the kings of Israel and we don't know a lot about the kings uh, of Israel except for Saul, David, and Solomon. And I thought, you know, that would, would be interesting to write about uh, the the kings after them. And uh, so just left it at that, didn't do anything about it. And several years ago, in 2009, I believe, uh, we were in a, a Wednesday night Bible study. We were going through the book of Daniel. And we got onto the uh, chapter where Nebuchadnezzar had his dream and uh, Daniel had to interpret the dream because the uh, magicians and sorcerers could not do that for the king. And uh, it was the, the Lord said, I, I want you to write a book about this this king. And then I did. And then the next book that I wrote was Fortifier about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the furnace. And um, then after that, the, the handwriting on the wall, um, it was, and when, you know, I was told to write that one, it was just like, oh my goodness, it, this is our, our country. Um, if we don't turn back to God, and this was in, uh, I believe, 2011 or 12, and, um, you know, uh, we're doomed as, as a nation because God is what our nation was founded on. And he needs to be first, and we need to be honoring him and living for him. And if not, you know, we're, our, our nation is going to be destroyed. And that's basically how the, the book came about. I enjoyed writing the book, uh, you know, especially in the Old Testament uh, stories. It was, um, it was, it was just um, an amazing thing that God wanted done. And... Um, I'm glad he chose me to to write about it. 
Well, we might, when we pick up your book, think, well, this is a children's book because it's illustrated and it's not very long. It's about, like you say, it's about this story of the handwriting on the wall with King Belshazzar uh, back about 600 B.C. So, uh, but it's for all ages, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, It is written uh, in a children's uh, setting. It does have... Uh, illustrations, which helps uh, see what went on during uh, this story. Uh, They are very colorful. Um, Author House did an excellent job with uh, the the illustrations. But it's written um, really easy to read for anyone of any age. Uh, And uh, the, the goal of the book is for us to see that uh, no matter where we are in life, God can turn us around if we will um, get back to Him. Uh, Bel, uh, King uh, Belshazzar, it, that was it. He, his time was up, and, and God did show him, even though he knew what his grandfather went through, and, and Nebuchadnezzar did honor and glorify God after he uh, went through his uh, time of trial, uh, Belshazzar did not do that, and so it was that was it for him. And God showed him in that unusual way that uh, you you have to honor and glorify me, um, but he he didn't do it. I mean, he and I believe God is giving us a chance right now at this time uh, to as a nation to to turn back to Him. Well, there's some key words in this. When a leader of a nation glorifies himself and doesn't glorify God, it it really shows the true nature of the person. Yes, it does. And uh, God is is Jehovah, and he's the one who is supposed to get honor and glory. Nobody else is. And he wants that. God wants us to honor and glorify him in everything that is done in our lives individually and and as a nation. And for Christians, I believe most Christians understand uh, what you're saying. Uh, Those who don't follow the Bible, who aren't Christian, uh, may not understand this story, but as we as Christians who recognize that that Jesus Christ is the God of this land, it points very clearly that our nation is on the brink of destruction, just like what was going on in Babylon back 600 B.C. That's right. Uh, they were not honoring God. He was not the God of, of the land. And some decisions in this land have been made that has put us further uh, away from God. We've pushed him out, and, uh, and, and God is not going to stand for that. One of these days, if we keep going that direction, um, God's going to put his hand of judgment on, on America. Any hope in your book? Any hope in my book? Yes, there is. Absolutely. Share with us, please. Where, wherever a person, a church, a family, a nation is right at this point in their life, if that person, that family, that church that nation will get on their knees and ask God to forgive them, turn from their wicked ways, 
if they don't know Jesus, accept him as Savior, and let's turn back to Jehovah, yes, we have hope um, as individuals, as a nation. And, and that is, that's our only hope, is in Jesus Christ and Jehovah God. And God's promise, if we will do that, he will heal our land. Absolutely. Well, it's a real privilege to talk with you, Denise. It's needed, much needed, books of truth, books of prophecy, books of wisdom. And this may seem like a children's story, but it actually happened back 600 B.C. in a place called Babylon that was very wicked, and they found out that they must worship the God of the land. That's right, and we are going to find out ourselves as a nation and individuals, too, that we have to worship Jehovah God or we're going to uh, experience His wrath. What's the best way to get your book, Denise? You can order it online uh, through Author House, through Amazon, uh, I believe Barnes & Noble. Uh, that, that would be the best way to, to purchase the book. We've been talking to Denise Ritchie, the author of her book, The Handwriting on the Wall. Denise, thank you so much for joining us on Christian Living That Counts. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, expose the book. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.